Let me invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. You're using a pew Bible that's on page 1119. Page 1119. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, you are gracious and merciful, and in your grace and mercy, you have given to us your word. You have given us the scriptures, the Bible, that we might learn and understand. You've revealed yourself to us. you revealed truth about yourself, truth about ourselves, truth about salvation. And we come now as students of your word, as disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, to learn more, to be strengthened in our faith to gain understanding. We go over material that is familiar to us, uh, familiar to many of us. Many of us have read First John before. And yet we're very aware that uh, in one reading or in two readings or in 10 readings or in 50 readings, we can never uh, compass the depths of your word of any particular book. So, Father, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to each of us according to our need. And may we bring honor and glory to you by the attending by, by the attendance that we give, by the, by the attention that we give um, to your word now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the book of 1 John is a letter that the Apostle John, I'm going to raise this up just a little bit, that the Apostle John um, wrote uh, to believers Uh, believers that he had connection with. So this is written by the Apostle John, who was one of the 12 disciples, the brother of James. All right, beginning with verse 1 there. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father, And was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now look there at verse 2. Verse 2, look at the third line. He says, We testify and declare to you. Skip down to verse 3. We also declare to you. Okay, John says that they are declaring something. They are testifying to something. They are proclaiming something. And verses 1 through 4 talks about that, unpacks what it is they are declaring. So today we're going to look at this apostolic declaration, this declaration made by the apostles. Okay, and we're going to look at it under three subject headings. We're going to look first of all at the nature of the apostolic declaration. Then we're going to look at the purpose of the, or the content of the declaration. And finally, then we'll look at the purpose of this apostolic declaration. First of all, the nature of the declaration. The nature of the apostolic declaration is revelation. It's revelation. Verse two says, that life was revealed. 
And a little bit later, it says the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. To reveal something is to uncover something. It's to make uh, known a previously unknown fact or a previously unknown reality. The Christian religion is a revealed religion. And what we mean by that, we can put it negatively, Christianity is not a man-made religion. It's not a man-made religion. It's not of human creation. We didn't come up with it. We didn't reason it out. We didn't puzzle it out. We didn't develop it. We didn't bargain with God about it. We weren't in on the creation of the Christian faith. We didn't argue it into being. There wasn't a summit between our best thinkers and God in order to come up with some sort of an accord. It is all of God. He created it. He originated all the terms of it, and it has been revealed to us. He declared it to us, proclaimed it, announced it. Any pushback is unwelcome and unfruitful. It's unwelcome because God isn't seeking our opinion on how we should relate to him. It's unfruitful because he will not take any criticism from us, even even as constructive as might be the intent of our criticism. He isn't looking for our creativity, creative ideas on how to improve the covenant relationship that he originated. That would be a little bit like taking driving lessons from a toddler, okay? My, I, have a, I have a toddler grandson. He's one and a half years old. Finley loves to see, sit in the driver's seat and put his hands on the wheel and pretend like he's driving. And the other day, uh, his mother, Brittany, was uh, carrying him out to the car, and I said, and Finley was babbling. He was talking a lot. Can't understand most of what he's saying, but he's talking a lot. And I said, I bet he wants to, t- uh, he has some tips for you on how to drive. And she said, yeah, his, his idea of driving is to grip the wheel tightly and then violently jerk it back and forth. You know, I can't do it without the wheel in front of me, but jerk, violently jerk it back and forth. Has anybody taken tips on driving from a toddler? We don't do that. We're not on the, we're not on the same plane, you know. Um, we're, we're adults, licensed adults, and this is a toddler. We, we don't do that. We're not on the same plane. We're not equals. And, and that's... That's what it is when it comes to the Christian faith, too. In, in no category are we equal with God. He is far, far above us. Ours is to humbly and accept and receive and welcome the announcement, the declaration. And in fact, the, the, the Christian faith that he reveals to us is called the gospel. And what does gospel mean? What does the word gospel mean? Good news. It means good news. It's good news. It is good news. God originated it, and it's good news. And, and Believe me, if we got involved and started bargaining and so forth, it'd become less and less good news. Um, we'd mess it up. The Christian faith begins with God and is revealed to us. It is not a collaborative faith. It is not a bottom-up faith, though many assume and act like it is. Sociologist Robert Bella wrote a book many years ago, and I can't remember the title of it now. But I remember the story. He, talks, he talked about uh, Sheila Larson. Sheila Larson, he says, is a young nurse who has received a good deal of therapy and who describes her own personal faith as Sheilaism. She named it after herself. She says, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way, though. It's, it's Sheilaism, just my own little voice. Bella says, Sheila's faith has some tenets beyond belief in God, though not many. She says, in defining my own Sheilaism, it's just try to love yourself and, and be gentle with yourself, I guess. You know, take care of each other. I think he would want us to take care of each other. A lot of people 
are like Sheila. They modify the Christian faith. They receive the faith, but then they modify it as, as if it could be improved on. Uh, I'm going to exclude this. I'm going to keep this. I'm going to add this, and I'm going to take this out. Well, once you modify it, it's not the Christian faith. And whatever God you're dealing with, it's not the Christian God. The Christian faith is a declared religion. It's revelation. God reveals himself to us. Remember what the prophets, how the prophets, whenever God had a message through the prophets, they would start by saying, thus says the Lord, or in the King James, thus saith the Lord. In other words, hear and receive. And I'm not looking for your input. This isn't a debate. I'm not floating ideas out there. This isn't a brainstorm session. I am revealing, I am revealing to you my mind, God says. Christian faith is a declaration. It's an announcement. And there are some implications from this, and I want to draw them out. Uh, the first, uh, well, I didn't put that up there, did I? The Christian faith begins with God and is revealed to us. But there's no blanks to fill in, so you can memorize it. Okay. Uh, letter A. Implications. First implication is this. It's a good thing that God declares truth to us. It's a good thing that it's a declaration. I'm glad I don't have to puzzle out things on my own, that I don't have to figure out how to be saved, because what if I get it wrong? And believe me, no one would have discerned God's plan for salvation. That a Jew born in occupied territory, far away even from the capital city of Judaism in the backwaters of Galilee, that this Jew would be God's own eternal son, And then that later, at the behest of two governments, the Jewish government and the Roman government, he would be crucified on a cross, and that would be the means of salvation. How many of you would have come up with that plan? No one would have come up with that plan. The Bible talks about the fact that the rulers of the age of that time did not understand what God was doing. No one would have come up with that plan. It's a good thing that God announces these things to us, that he declares truth to us. In other areas of life, we want the truth to be told to us. We don't want to have to figure it out. When I go to my doctor, I want him to be well-educated. I want him to be well-taught so that he can figure out what it is that's wrong with me. All right? I don't, uh, I'm not fond of hiring electricians that say, hey, we've had some pretty good luck lately. <laughs> I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I want them to know what they're doing because <laughs> uh, I don't want my house to burn down later. And when it comes to sin and salvation and heaven and hell, revealed truth is much better than speculation or philosophy or even popular opinion. Implication number two is this. We are not called to modify the revealed Christian faith to fit our lives, but to modify our lives to fit the revealed Christian faith. We are not called to modify the faith like Sheila Larson and so many do, but rather we are called to fit our lives to the revealed Christian faith. That's called repentance. It's called repentance. It's called um, complying with scriptures. It's called obedience. It's called submission to the word of God. We're not called to modify the faith to fit our lives, but to modify our lives to fit the faith. Okay, did you get all that writing done? Because I'm going to switch it again. Here's the third implication. <laughs> Though our culture demands that we change Christian doctrine, we cannot legitimately do so. We cannot legitimately do so. We cannot legitimately change the apostolic declaration, in other words, the scriptures. Our culture 
if you're aware, would like us to distance ourselves from much of the doctrine that God has handed down to us through the scriptures and through Christ. But we don't have the freedom to do that. Our culture would like us to redefine what is good and what is evil. But how can, how can we do that? We're, when it comes to the Christian faith, you and I, we're in sales. We're in the sales department, but we are not in management, okay? We're not in the management department. We're simply in sales. We don't have the authorization to change Christian doctrine. Our culture would like us to reinterpret the Bible to fit its scheme of evolution, but we can't do that. The Bible teaches that God created everything. And when it came to living things, he created each animal group according to its kind. And when it came to mankind, when it came to humanity, that was a special creation apart from the animals. We can't modify it to fit the prevailing theory of evolution. Our culture would like us to broaden the biblical parameters on sex so that we approve of all kinds of extramarital sex. But God, who incidentally is the creator of sex, is the one who set up the parameters for sex. And that is between a man and a woman who are already married to one another. In his word, the Bible, God is very clear that homosexual activity is a sin, that acting out on homosexual activity is a sin. Over the last 10 to 15 years, our culture has decided to flip-flop on that issue. And they pressure us to do so. How can we do that? How can we do that? That's not what the scripture teaches. Our culture wants us to get on the bandwagon to redefine marriage. But God's word is pretty clear. One man, one woman. How can we change God's word? The early church experienced friction with their culture too. Within weeks, months of Jesus having ascended into heaven, already the apostles were in hot water uh, with the leaders, with the powers that be. Um, And their example is instructive for us. The Jewish authorities didn't like the fact that they were preaching in Jesus' name. So they told the apostles, hey, everything's fine as long as you stop preaching in Jesus' name. And the apostles said, how can we do that? We've been instructed to. So they continue to preach, and so they were arrested. Look at what happens here in Acts chapter 5. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the city jail. Okay, that's called the culture's opinion on the Christian movement. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple complex and tell the people all about this life. So the culture says, Stop talking about Jesus. And what happens? An angel comes that night from the Lord, springs him out of jail, and he says, uh, you know what, if, if that's what culture wants, that's okay. You, you just, you know, just try to be good citizens and comply with culture. That's not what he says. He says, go back out and do what the Lord has tell you. Go back out and preach. So the next morning, what do they do? They go back out and they're preaching again. And so they're rearrested. They're rearrested. Um, after uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 27, after they brought them in, after they brought the apostles in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And, and the same is true for us. We are to obey God rather than the changing morality of the society around us. So the apostolic declaration is just that. It's a declaration. It's an announcement. It's revelation. That's the nature of the declaration. Well, now we come to the content of the apostolic declaration. And the content is Jesus Christ. The content of the declaration is Jesus Christ. What does the Christian faith proclaim? What is the content of our doctrine? Well, in truth, there's a lot of content to the Christian doctrine. 
there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to understand. And it's all inscripturated for us. 66 books. Um, but the heart of it, the core of it, is Jesus Christ. If there is no Christ, there is no Jesus, there is no Christianity. If there is no Christ, there is no salvation. Without Jesus, the whole thing collapses. The whole Bible revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. And this is who the Apostle John is talking about in our passage today. Look again at verse 1. What was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He says three things about Jesus here in this first verse. First, he says, what was from the beginning? What was from the beginning? That's how he starts. He's talking about the fact that Jesus is from the beginning. That is, he is eternal. He has always been. He always will be. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. Look at John chapter 1. John uh, 1, the gospel of John also refers to Jesus as the word, the communication from God. It says, in the beginning was the word, was Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God when? In the beginning. In the beginning. So we see the first thing about Jesus is he is the eternal God. He is the eternal God. Which means that Jesus existed before he was born. That Jesus existed before he was conceived in the womb of Mary. And more than simply existed, he lived in eternal fellowship and glory with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He also is responsible for creation. We looked at John 1, 1 and 2. There it is again, and let's add the third verse down there in bold. All things were created through him, talking about the word Jesus. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Colossians chapter 1 talks about this. Talking about Jesus, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. As the eternal God and creator, Jesus was alive long before he was conceived in Mary or born. That's when he became human. We'll talk about that shortly. John the Baptist understood this about Jesus. John the Baptist was actually older than Jesus, but look about what, look, look at what John says about him. He is the one, Jesus is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Okay. John understood that Jesus was a man, but he also understood that he was the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. Like God, Jesus, the Son of, like God the Father, Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. Now look at the next three clauses in verse 1. It says, what was from the beginning, talking about him, his deity, he is God. But then it says, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands. John introduces the uh, a pronoun there, we, okay? He didn't witness Jesus before time began as the eternal God. But he did witness Jesus in history. He saw him as a man. And he says the we, he's referring to the 12 apostles there. What is this verse telling us? It's telling us that he is also a historical human. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to word that. But he, he's human and he was, and he planted himself in history. 
He planted himself in history. When Quirinius was governor of Syria, the Gospel of Luke tells us, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Historical markers mark the time when Jesus um, lived among us as a human being. John is telling us that the eternal Son of God, who has existed from eternity past and will live into eternity future, he manifested himself into human history, into our timeline, and he did it at the time of John and Peter and James and Matthew and so forth. John says that the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who holds all things together by his power, that same divine, almighty, all-wise being, he entered into human history as a human being. We heard him speak. We saw him with our eyes. John could say, I was cleaning my nets. I was cleaning my fishing nets with my brother. And all of a sudden, I heard someone call my name. And it was the eternal divine son of God. I looked around and it was the eternal divine son of God. I didn't know he was the eternal divine son of God at that time. He looked like just another man. And he was another man. Later I learned who he was. We saw him. We heard him. We saw him teach in the synagogue. We heard his teaching. The one time we were at Peter's mother, at Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever. And Jesus, this man, went over and took her by the hand and lifted her to her feet, and the fever was gone, and her strength returned immediately. We saw him. We saw him when we were in the boat on Galilee. There was a horrible storm, and what was Jesus doing? Jesus was sleeping in the boat. So we woke him up. We touched him. We handled him. We, Hey, wake up. Save us. And he stood up, and he spoke to the wind and the waves, and instantly... The sea became calm and the storm was gone. And at that point, we were more afraid of him than we were of the storm that we had just been in. We saw him. We saw him cast out a bunch of demons from one man. And you should have seen the transformation in that man. He was naked. He was wild. He was demon possessed. And then Jesus cast those demons out. And all of a sudden, the man accepts clothing. He puts on clothes and he sits down and he's calm and possessed in his right mind. We saw that. We, we saw Jesus crucified. We saw him hanging, hanging on the cross. And I heard him talking to me from the cross. He said to me, John, I want you to take care of my mother while I'm gone. When I'm gone, I want you to take care of my mother. And then we saw him after he was raised from the dead. We saw, we were fishing and we saw him and he called to us. And he, you know what he was doing? He was cooking breakfast. He was making breakfast for us. And so we went over to the shore and we ate breakfast with him. John says we, we saw him with our own eyes. We heard him speak. And then he goes on to say that, that we, uh, we observed him and we touched him with our hands. He was very physical. He was no ghost. The word there for touched, uh, the word there for touched in the original language, it's a, it's a very physical word. We handled him would be another translation. Um, and John's not saying that they roughed him up, but he's trying to communicate the idea that the eternal son of God had become flesh and blood. We observed him. We tried to understand him. The eternal son of God was a flesh and blood man. He, he grabbed, he was physical. He grabbed Peter's mother-in-law and helped her to her feet. Later on, he grabbed Peter. Peter was sinking. He was drowning and Jesus grabbed him and pulled him up. Children would come to Jesus loved children and Jesus would take children and he would embrace them He would embrace them. He would hug them and then he would take his hands and he would put his hand on top of their head And he would speak words of blessing over them 
on the night on the night when Jesus was betrayed, we didn't know what Judas was doing. On that night before all hell broke loose, we were having dinner together and I was leaning against Jesus. My shoulder was right here leaning up against Jesus. He was right there. He was physical. The eternal son of God had become a man like us. And I was right there with him, John says. Why is John talking like this? Why is he emphasizing the senses? You know, we saw him, so forth. He wants to emphasize what we call the incarnation. The incarnation, the fact that the Son of God, Jesus, became a human being. He became a human being. See, we know, we know that God is spirit. God is spirit. And the Son of God, as God, is spirit. But the Son of God also became human flesh and human blood. He became a human being. The Son of God added to his deity humanity. Christ is eternally divine. He eternally possesses a divine nature, a God nature. When he was conceived in the womb of Mary, he added to his divine nature a human nature. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who has always been God, also became like us. Okay, so here's a quiz. All right, God the Father. Is God the Father have a divine nature or a human nature? Divine, right. God the Holy Spirit, is he divine, God, or is he human? Divine, thank you. Okay, you and me, are we divine or are we human? Thank you, thank you. That's right. Jesus Christ, is he divine or is he human? Both. He's both. Thank you. Good job. Pat yourself on the back. Give yourselves an A. That's good. Um, yeah, okay. Here, here, are the, here are the answers. God the Father is divine. The Holy Spirit is divine. We're human. Jesus is both divine and human. Two natures in one person. Jesus, the Son of God. He's 100% God. He's 100% human. Okay, so he's the eternal God. He's a historical human. And the next thing John says about him is that he is the source of life. He is the source of life. He is the key to life. He is life itself. Um, the end of verse 1 says, Concerning the word or the message of life, that life was revealed to us. <coughs> Excuse me. And we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you uh, the eternal life that was with the Father. Jesus is life itself. He is the source of life. Of course, as creator, he is the source of all physical life. He is the source of all physical life. Everyone walking around today is alive because of Jesus, thanks to Jesus, the Son of God. Whether they realize it or not, whether they're Christian or not, whether they're Buddhist or Muslim or atheist or whatnot, all have received life from the Creator. But beyond that, Jesus also rescues us from the death we've been born into because of our sin. He rescues us from spiritual death. Remember what he said to Martha just before he raised Lazarus from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. Death and suffering are the destiny of every man and woman because of their sins. In fact, death and eternal suffering is your destiny because of your sins. Unless, unless you are trusting in Jesus Christ who grants spiritual life and resurrection to all who believe in him. If you are a Christian, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus, repenting of your sins, then you have been given eternal life through the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 2 says, We testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Jesus is that eternal life, and he imparts that eternal life to everyone who calls on his name and who trusts in him for salvation. So the Christian faith is a declaration. We've looked at the nature of it, Revelation. We've looked at the content of it, Jesus Christ. And finally, and a little bit more quickly, we'll look at the purpose of the apostolic declaration. The purpose of the apostolic declaration is your fellowship, your fellowship. And really, you should add on there, your fellowship with God, your fellowship with God. Actually, I should have added that on there, but because I didn't, if you would add that on there, that would be great. Your fellowship with God. Verse 3 says, What we have seen and heard we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. God revealed himself to us through Jesus so that we might have fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is having something in common with. Fellowship is sharing life with. And it's an amazing thing that God wants to have fellowship with us, especially when you understand how sinful we are and how holy God is, that he would want to have fellowship with us, that he would want to share life with us is amazing. Not everyone who saves a life necessarily wants to move in with the person whose life they saved. Think about it. A lifeguard, if a lifeguard saves your life and you're drowning, do they necessarily want you to come and move in with them? They say to you, in my father's house are many rooms, and I've saved you so that you can come and live in my father's house. No, they're, they're just doing a good deed, and hey, let's, let's go on our merry separate ways, all right? Or a lawyer who gets uh, someone who, free, who, who, who prevents, helps someone from not going to prison. Does that lawyer want that client to then come and live with them? No. But that's not true of Christ. That's not true of God. Look at what uh, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am you may also be. Jesus wants to spend eternity with you. God wants to spend eternity with you. And Jesus pictures this as a house, okay, a place where people live together. I want to have communion with you. I want to have a relationship. I want to have fellowship with you. When you believe on Jesus and receive the free gift of eternal life, you enter into an incredible fellowship, an incredible fellowship. And it involves, let me just tell you what it involves. It involves, first of all, a very real spiritual kinship with believers. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are, in a very real sense, related to the other, the other people in this room who also have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a very real connection, a spiritual, vital connection. And not only that, but you have a very real spiritual kinship with believers around the world. It's not just people who look like you, but it's people who look like you in terms of their faith. So that you are connected with believers in Africa and in Asia and in Europe and Europe and South America and so forth. And not only that, but you have a very real spiritual kinship with believers throughout history. Throughout history, in a very real sense, the Apostle John is your brother. The Apostle Paul is your brother. Uh, Mary is your sister. Martha is your sister. Um, and all of the Christians throughout history, though they have died, they are still very much alive in the presence of Jesus. And you will meet them and know them when you also have passed from this life into the next. 
And the most important part of this fellowship is that you have a very real spiritual relationship with God. And it's a family relationship. God has made it clear to us that he has, he, when you become a Christian, he adopts you into his family. He wants you to call him father. He wants you to call him father. Jesus considers himself our elder brother. So let's summarize what John has said here. He says, everything that we know about Jesus Christ, we have declared to you. And we've done so, so that you may have a relationship with God. In other words, so that you might be saved and have eternal life. John says, he was made known to us. We made him known to you. Why? So that you may know him. And I don't mean know about him, John says, but to know him. To really know him. Like you know your closest friend. Like you know your spouse. Like you know your family member. Jesus has been made known to you so that you can have fellowship with God. The question is, have you responded? Do you have fellowship with God? God has revealed himself to you through the apostles. Jesus has been declared to you so that you will have fellowship with God. If you have already placed your faith in Christ, then what is your job? Your job is to continue the declaration Continue declaring to others the truth about Jesus Christ so that they also might enter into fellowship. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, why not? What's holding you back? The good news of Jesus Christ has been declared to you. Have you responded to it? Will you respond to it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we?